Hey everyone, welcome back to yet another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today, a lot of littles, um, along with our Game of the Week, and we have a listener question we're going to ask and talk about, so we don't really have a lot of time really to get going. Uh, one thing we are going to talk about, I went and saw Captain Marvel on Sunday night, <clears throat> so that's going to be very spoiler-heavy, but I will save that for the end of the show, so, like... Even even after, I'm going to save that for after the game of the week and after all that. So that way, if you do want to see it, but you still like that content, you don't have to feel like you have to skip ahead and hopefully not hear things. Like, I'll do it at the very, very, very end. <clears throat> so I'll, that uh, so if you want to stick around for it, you can. If you don't, totally understandable, because I hate when movies are spoiled for me. But I know a lot of people don't care, and they just want to listen to it. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, and then the stories we have lined up for today... Uh, there's a there's a couple cool ones and a couple sad ones. This is kind of the usual mixed bag here. But uh, first, we're going to talk about an unreleased, unknown NES game was uh, was discovered. Um, now, apparently, this had been played before this discovery, uh, as people are starting to find out. But it was such a like a hidden thing that a lot of people didn't know it existed before this copy was found. Uh, like a YouTuber basically bought it uh, a prototype from an old uh, employee of Nintendo, an ex-employee of Nintendo. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about, uh, uh, unfortunately, a scandal at EA, which uh, was in the Sims community. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and uh, and uh, some harassment by one of the uh, like the curators or the like EA actually picks like handpicks these people in the community like Sims gurus to be like hey this person does videos like focus on this person and uh and and some uh that person then preying unfortunately on on underage kids and then uh we're going to talk quickly briefly about the Fortnite dance lawsuits uh there's an update to that uh and then uh, like I said I'm going to finish up with we're going to do the then we'll do the game of the week we'll do listener we'll do listener questions game of the week and then I'll finish with my Captain Marvel uh, movie description spoiler fest. <laughs> so uh, with that being said, uh, we are ready to roll. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is the this recently discovered Nintendo game. This is, the, this is the sort of stuff I love about our hobby, that there are still games that can be discovered and found years, decades after they were originally um created and I want I almost said originally released but this game was never released in fact it was never even announced so it's it's kind of an interesting story so I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna go through that here the name of the game was UWC uh, it stood for uh, was it Universal Wrestling Corporation or something like that and so basically uh, let's see let's start with uh, is that the first one I think this is the one we want to talk about first so so yeah after 30 years uh, this game came out and it actually doesn't look too bad and the the cool thing is apparently the cartridge that was uh, it was a youtuber um by the name of let's give him some credit archon 1981 uh, go and give him a sub uh he uh i'm not logged in that's why it said that i wasn't subbed um so uh, he purchased this game purchased this prototype from an ex-employee of nintendo and apparently this was the the version of the cart that was sent to Nintendo for certification. And so that's pretty cool because that means that's essentially was a finished game or, or very, very close to being finished. I'm not saying there weren't any bugs or anything, but for the most part, it would be finished if it was being submitted to Nintendo. So that's very, very cool. Uh, so I want to kind of go through the article here. This was on Kotaku written by uh, Luke Plunkett. So here we go. Um, 
YouTuber Steven Reese, a.k.a. Archon1981, has got a hold of a copy of a wrestling game that was made during a very strange point in the sport's history. It's called UWC, which stands for Universal Wrestling Corporation, the placeholder name that was used by WCW during its purchase by Ted Turner in 1988. So it's, that, that's why it's kind of interesting also is they never end up going with the name UWC. It was the, eventually the game, and it is possible that, that once WCW became the name, then they started licensing out the game. But before that was a thing, they had a company... Now, now, whether it was that company made the game and, and was trying to get it, you know, like sold. Uh, well, actually, no, that doesn't even make sense either, because they would have had to have the rights to it uh, to be able to submit it to Nintendo, you would think. Um, although, I guess you never know. Uh, so anyway, uh, the article goes on to say UWC was developed by the now closed Japanese studio Seda and is dated 1989 on the game's title screen. Its roster of wrestlers includes Ric Flair, the Road Warriors and Sting. And it looks in pretty good shape for a game that was never even announced. Reese says he bought off a former Nintendo employee who was given the game for testing simply because he was a wrestling fan. And that's where it's been for the last 30 years. If you're interested in playing the game, Reese says he's going to dump the ROM online soon so that people can around with it and that was the end of that story so that was last thursday then we got to yesterday at late last night actually luke did a follow-up to the story where basically uh it's now been digitized and finished so we're going to continue on the story here this is a second article from yesterday the new owner of the game stephen reese said as much last week and that job has now been completed thanks to the efforts of the video game history foundation they said quote we are more than happy to lend our expertise and digitize the game for its owner and quote the vghf haven't just ripped the game but also went and finished it as in played to the end not finished development to be clear uploading gameplay footage to youtube so we can all see more of uwc in action what's cool about the video here is just how finished the game was and also the fact that it includes a full credits list so that everyone who worked on the uwc but were never recognized can now get some recognition for their work uh oh and watching this clip let me appreciate something I missed from our first look at the game, which is the crowd faces. And obviously the podcast listeners, you can't see this, but it is, uh, the faces are wild. <laughs> it's just like a bunch of goofy, like wide, wide mouth open. Some one tooth, <laughs> some two teeth. <laughs> this is what a wrestling audience looks like in the South. <laughs> That's not nice. That's how it looks like up here too. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so yeah, so we're actually going to watch a little bit of gameplay here for it too. But uh, before we do that, I thought this was this was really neat. Um, now the game itself, do I really care about an NES wrestling game? Not so much. But the idea that this was fully created and ready to go and something must have happened at the last minute. Maybe they had paid for the licensing for UWC and then once the name changed, they, the, they could have probably still made the game. Maybe they canceled it at the last minute thinking, well, why would we? Not that they maybe couldn't have reskinned it as WCW or anything. Now, there was a WCW game for the regular Nintendo, but it was not this game, and it was not made by the same company. So you almost have to wonder if then someone else came in once it was finalized and bought the rights to WCW, and maybe these, the company that made this was stuck like in this legal limbo, uh, which would be really unfortunate because apparently the game's really good. So we're going we're gonna to watch this here. I'm going to hit play. We're going to just watch a few minutes of it, and then I'll describe what's going on, obviously, to the podcast listeners here. That turn up the audio a little bit here for you. So basically, um, <laughs> it, it's, it looks like other wrestling games in the NES. I mean, it is what it is. It, it's a 2D side scroller, but it has really good 
ring presence. It's got this really good kind of framed look to it, like where, where you have the wrestlers. This is a Road Warrior Hawk versus Ric Flair. Next to their names, there's a number, which is their health bar, essentially. Every move that gets done to you, your number goes down. And uh, currently, Road Warrior Hawk is uh, is whooping up on Ric Flair. He's got him beat by a good 60, uh, 50 to 60 HP, or however you want to call it. Now, what it really struck me about this video was, well, one, it's very fast. So, like, in some NES games, you'll notice, like, in wrestling games especially, like, you do a move and it's really slow, choppy kind of animations. Um, oh, and right here, uh, this is awesome. So, he actually threw him out of the ring, and he just, like, suplexed him on the outside of the ring. And he's doing a bunch of moves to him out there, and then eventually he throws him back into the ring. Like, that's super cool. Like, that's really neat. I don't I don't remember any other games having outside the ring. Maybe maybe the later WWF ones did on NES, but uh, the ones I played, like the original WrestleMania, did not do that. So this is really, really cool. And like I said, graphically, it's really neat. It would have been cool if they maybe flipped the uh, fans' faces a little bit to give it, like, some life. But it looks just like a bunch of fans in the crowd. And you got this... Uh, I mean, it, it moves really fast, and you can crouch, so like there, Ric Flair ran off the ropes, came back, and Road Warrior Hawk actually, like, ducked the his bouncing off the ropes. It was really, really cool. And uh, so, uh, so the game's fast, and it, it actually probably is probably fun. I don't know, it looked alright. I, I might download it and play it later, uh, but uh, we'll have to see. Um... Let me turn this down a little bit more now that I'm talking a lot more. But it, it's, it just, it, it's not bad. It, it's, it, it's very quick. Graphically, it's there. You actually have a referee in the ring, like watching the action, quote unquote, watching the action, and it's not bad. I, I I've, I, I could totally see playing this game. Uh, and then it's got a little bit of that neat wrestling history where it's got a name that isn't a part of the business anymore, but was for a short time. So I, I think that's really cool. So that this is just one of those feel good stories, you know, where it's, it's uh. You know, there's just really cool story about a game that was essentially lost in time. And, and yeah, it's also neat that people that worked on it could now maybe claim it uh, as something they worked on. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it was made in Japan, so I'm just going to assume that uh, that uh, that all... I, you know, actually, maybe I should look that up. Huh? Let's, let's do the old on-the-fly Wikipedia lookup. And let's see if... Uh, let's see what SATA is. Oh, boy. Oh boy. No, I did not. SATA Corporation. Yeah, this is SATA. Okay. Okay. Let's see if anyone's updated the. Uh... Yeah, you're right here. Someone's already updated the Wikipedia page. UWC, unreleased game based on WCW. A review copy was uncovered in 2019. So, yeah, so. Uh, it's a Japanese company. Uh, it was a Japanese computer gaming company found in October of 1985 and dissolved on February 9th, 2009. So what was the last game they did? Okay, they, they got some they got some stuff going on here. Um, not a lot of stuff. Oh, they did Project Silphied for 360. Ooh, that game was not good. Uh, huh. Uh-huh. Well, very interesting. Anyway, that was one of those last minute dives into wikipedia but so it is cool though that anyone that worked on this game then could probably take credit for it i'm not sure how that works where if on a resume you can put games that were unreleased or canceled and things like that but the idea that the game made it all the way through you know to nintendo for certification is pretty awesome i think that's pretty neat and, and, and that's a lot different than a lot of prototypes which were like a work in progress that don't have finishable levels and you can't even play the game you can play this game to completion um the roster 
includes uh, there was Ric Flair, uh, Road Warrior, Hawk, and Animal. Uh, there was Sting. I mean, there's some notable names on there too. Obviously, the cream of the WCW crop at the time. So, uh, just a really cool little uh, little piece of Nintendo history that uh, that was discovered. And and not only and and what I also like about this is that the person who found it very quickly and and again probably for his own sake very quickly said he would release it out to the public because that's a problem with a lot of. Like when you find something rare like this, it's tough because it has a ton of value, but the value ultimately goes down if more people have access to playing it. You know, if this was a one of a kind NES game that you didn't have any others out there and there was no ROM for it out there, that has substantial value. I mean, you might even find collectors buying it just so they could digitize it and keep it. But it's, uh, you know, so it's. It's really cool that he made that decision right away to say, yes, I'm going to do that. I just have to decide how I want to. And I think that was his way of just saying, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I have to find a company that will do it but not rip me off and steal it because it's obviously a really rare item, too. So so that was pretty cool. Um, so uh, that's really neat, though. UWC, an unreleased game. It's it's uploaded online, I guess, now, so you can download it and try it out. Uh, but uh, check out, what was it, the... Uh <clears throat> the uh, Video Game History Foundation. You can find out more info there. So, secondly, on the podcast today, we want to talk about this story, which is really, really bothering me, and uh, and it should. It should bother everybody. And it's not just a story of harassment happening and, um, you know, in, in a game, which happens all the time on the Internet. You know, the being anonymous on the Internet or, or you know, like there, there's it's different than meeting people in real life. People oftentimes have a persona that they, they are online. So that, that's nothing new. What is new, however, unfortunately, is how EA essentially didn't do anything about it when it was brought to their attention. Now, specifically, there's two people that were involved. Not, so I don't like to say like EA is a company like preys on little kids. That's that's not a fair statement. But what a fair what what is a fair statement is the two people that were re, that were contacted by the victims didn't do enough. And so we're gonna go over the story. So the headline here this is by Jita Jackson. This was yesterday. Teenagers say EA brushed off reports of sexual harassment by Sims influencer. So here's the story. Uh, last week, a Sims streamer and YouTuber in EA's Game Changer program was accused by several people in the community of sexually harassing minors online. Minors online. And sexually harassing. So we're not talking about meetups and assault, physical assault, but sexual harassment all the same. <clears throat> uh, continues on. Although he stepped down as a Game Changer on March 5th, People in the Sims community are still left wondering why this wasn't addressed months ago because some of the people who say they were victimized by him say they were reported that they reported his actions to the Sims development team in December of last year. So apparently he only I'm going to skip down just a little bit because they talked about how well, you know, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Sorry. Um, the Game Changers program is EA's community partnership program which allows streamers and youtubers to apply to be selected to receive special access to the developers of specific ea games as well as early codes for expansions and other content and access to preview events this is this is something that a lot of companies do uh, where they basically uh, they 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 connect with influencers in a way and they want there to be community people that don't essentially work for them but that they'll give some some early access to that'll build a following and help with the marketing and promotion of their products. It's it's pretty common, you know. It's not a big deal. Um, 
In the Sims community, game changers are held in esteem because many of them have a direct line to Sim gurus, designated members of the Sims development team who interact with the community and answer questions. So what this is saying is that the game changers are held in esteem in the Sims community because they have a direct line to the to the gurus, excuse me. And so that if you want a question answered, you know, those streamers are able to get those questions answered and YouTubers and such. Um, it goes on to say multiple teenage boys say that a member of the EA Game Changer program who goes by the handle Dylan Sims. So that's frustrating because it's the Sims game. This is Sims with a Z. So you're going to um, you're going to hear me refer to him as Sims. I'm going to stretch that Z a little bit at the end. So I'm like Sims. That's how we know it's that not the Sims. <laughs> that's probably a really stupid way of doing this, but whatever. We're doing this on the fly. So uh, after all these allegations surfaced last week. Sims stepped down as a game changer and deleted some of his social media accounts. Kotaku asked Sims for comment on the allegations via his personal Facebook page, and minutes later, that account was also deleted. Kotaku also left a voicemail with a phone number that appears to belong to Sims, but has not yet received a response. <clears throat> Uh, goes on to say Stuart, whose name has been changed to protect his identity, told Kotaku that he met Sims online when he was 15 in late November last year. Sims lists his birth year as 1991 on multiple social media accounts, which would make him 27. Stuart had entered and won Sims giveaway for a copy of the Sims 4 expansion Get Famous, and Sims messaged him to tell him so. Stuart told Kotaku over Discord that soon afterward, Sims sent him a sexual message. Stuart said that sims described to him a fantasy about the two of them performing sexual favors with each other in a coffee shop and then tried to get stewart to role play with him uh, quote very sexual in that cafe that's all i'm say. that's all i'll say about that end quote is what stewart said stewart said uh that he also told sims no that he did not want to hear about this fantasy but sims persisted I told him that he messed up for doing what he's doing and he claimed that he never read me saying no Stewart said, quote, he never read me saying no. So basically, that's his excuse is that, well, I didn't think you didn't want it. Uh, the article goes on to say, over the course of the next month, Stewart met and befriended Tate, who has a Sims-related YouTube channel and whose name has also been changed to protect his identity. So those are the two victims at this point, Stewart and Tate. <clears throat> Stewart learned that Tate had also been solicited by Sims. Tate says Sims first contacted him in mid-December when Tate was 16. Quote, he randomly messaged me one night at 3 a.m. to tell me that he had a, quote, weird dream, end quote. End quote, end quote. Tate, Tate told Kotaku over Twitter direct messages. Quote, upon asking him what had happened, he said it was a, quote, naughty dream, end quote, involving me. And when I further asked, he revealed what the dream was about, end quote. Sims told Tate that he had dreamt about the two of them performing oral sex on each other. Tate told Kotaku that his parents were against the idea of him having a YouTube channel, so he never told them about his channel nor his interactions with Sims. He also never went to the police, although he says he deleted most of his correspondence with Sims. Tate provided Kotaku with a screenshot of his conversation with Sims that depicts Sims appearing to be describing his sexual dream about Tate. Uh, once Stuart and Tate got to know each other, so I don't know how they came to know each other, probably through the community, and had shared their experiences with Sims, they decided to take some action. In December, okay, December of 2018, Tate gave Stuart permission to contact Kate Olmsted on his behalf. Olmsted is the Sims community manager, and she handles the game's Game Changer program. 
Stewart didn't get an immediate response to his Twitter DM to Olmsted, so then he messaged Steve Lansing, a developer on The Sims team that assists with official streams. In screenshots that Stewart sent to Kotaku that appear to show this correspondence, Lansing seems reluctant to help with the problem. Quote, I'm like, how much do I want to get involved? End quote. Lansing appears to have written. Is he not taking please stop for an answer? Lansing has not yet responded to Kotaku's request for comment about the veracity of this exchange. So right now they can't prove that it was a direct message with Lansing, but it seems like this is, and this is the guy from EA. This is the developer who, who handles streams. Uh, eventually the purported messages show Lansing directing Stuart back to Olmstead. So Stuart says that Olmstead then told him she would talk to Sims. Olmsted has not yet responded to Kotaku, so none of the EA people have responded to Kotaku's reporting on the article. In December, shortly after Stewart said that he had relayed the information about Sims to Olmsted, Tate says that he received an apology from Sims. Okay, so shortly after Stewart said he relayed the information about Sims to Olmsted, Tate says he received an apology from Sims. In screen caps provided to Kotaku, Sims appears to tell Tate that he didn't know how old he was. Tate said that he didn't really believe it. Quote, I never told him personally my age. However, he did say he watched my videos all the time. And three months before this took place, I posted a birthday video in which I said how old I was, Tate said. Um, four months later, Stuart and Tate learned that Sims was allegedly targeting another teen. At this point, the pair approached Tabitha, a Sims YouTuber with 215,000 subscribers, and gave her permission to publicize their experiences with Sims and correspondences with Lansing and Olmsted. She held a live stream and posted a video on the topic last week. Um, so I'm going to pause that for a second just to say, it's really sad that this went undealt with. This was completely ignored. Obviously, somebody talked to Sims because he apologized, right? So the, clearly, Olmsted reached out to him and he said, oh, I'll apologize right away. I'm sorry. But it takes approaching a YouTuber with that much influence for someone at the company to, to pay attention. I mean, that always frustrates me, you know, and I understand that not every, I'm sure there's a lot of false claims that happen, but you have to take them seriously. Like you have to have a team in place for this. And, and it's so, so disappointing that they didn't take any action. Um, in her video, Tabitha said, this is alarming for so many reasons, but that was, but what was more alarming is the fact that one of the victims contacted two of the Sims gurus to tell them what was going on and report this man because he is an EA game changer. And what did they do? Nothing. I don't know if I want to keep being a simmer at this point. I'm humiliated to even be associated with this brand. They should be embarrassed that they let this man be a representative of who they are as a company. End quote. That was Tabitha, the YouTuber who they contacted. After Tabitha made this public, Sims stepped down as a game changer and deleted some of his social media accounts. So again, it was brought to their attention in December, but only once a big YouTuber ousted everything, then Sims steps down and deletes his social media. And so it's, he knew he was in trouble, but not until it blew up and got huge did he go further. As the news swept through the Sims community, multiple players came forward to share their experience with Sims. One player, Darren, whose name has also been changed to protect his identity, said that Sims had coerced him into being in an online relationship. Darren told Kotaku that Sims contacted him in May of last year under the pretense of helping Darren with his Twitch profile. Darren was 16. As they continued to talk, Darren said that Sims started to make sexual jokes. Darren said when Sims offered to play a game on Skype with him in the middle of the game, Sims said that he needed to change and then stripped nude on camera in front of a 16-year-old on Skype. Uh, 
Quote, at that moment in time, I was paralyzed, not knowing what to say. A few moments later, he actually flashed me saying, whoopsie, as if it was on accident. He then tried to act very cute and alluring towards me. I had never been in a relationship, so I didn't know what that would be like. <laughs> End quote. Darren then told Kotaku over Twitter DMs, I mistook his actions for love, actual affection. When we had actually started a relationship together, he would keep talking sexually with me, jerking off on camera and asking for intimate photos, even though I told him I didn't want to do any of that, end quote. And the fact that he's 16 and that you knew that. I mean, man, this is bad. This is really bad. And this is really bad. Uh, it goes on to say, Darren said that their relationship turned adversarial, describing Sims as yelling at him and blaming him for anything bad that would happen to Sims. Darren realized he had to break things off when Sims made a comment about his younger brother. So here we go. This is getting a little more weird. Quote, at one point, I showed him a photo of me and my little brother. He told me, wow, your brother is hot. My brother was 14 in that photo, Darren said. At that point, I realized this wasn't just me and that Dylan was sick. After they broke up, Darren said that Sims continued to harass him until Darren blocked him on social media in January of this year. So let's go back to that previous thing before, too, where uh, the, the relationship turned adversarial, describing Sims as yelling at him and blaming him for anything that would happen to Sims. Yeah, that's that's pretty much an abusive relationship. Uh, so this guy is really hitting all the uh, all the check boxes for a total piece of garbage. Uh, Darren had never met Sims in real life and said that their relationship was purely over the Internet. He never told his parents about the relationship and never went to the police. He provided Kotaku with some screenshots of Sims harassing him after the relationship ended. These screenshots appear to portray Sims messaging Darren every few hours between December 30th and January 3rd. However, because Sims had recently deleted all the social media accounts, the other records of the logs between Darren and Sims have been lost. The three teens who spoke to Kotaku said they were initially afraid to come forward because of Sims' status as a game changer. <laughs> so this, this is where things start to get a little complicated. Because, of course, and you always feel that victims often feel that way, where they, they feel like they're the ones who are going to get in trouble. You know, oftentimes people who have been abused are told that, that both parties will get in trouble if anyone ever finds out. You can't tell anyone because they'll put us both in jail. And of course, that's very scary to people and people who are manipulated by that. It, it's it's a real thing. It's very common. And this person was doing this online to underage kids. You know, now again, uh, before I go on to the rest of it, I want to say I don't blame EA for this happening because you don't know somebody and you don't know, like people could apply to this. They could have an online persona that's, that's, safe and fun and kid friendly and then you find out who the person really is people who are like this are typically very good at hiding this however what i will give ea a hard time about is the fact that they did nothing about it that is the part that's unacceptable to me that's the part where you're like okay hold the phone like this is this is mm -mm, mm -mm. that that could have been with with the evidence brought forward at that time that would have been enough it should have been enough to get him kicked out of that program but it wasn't and then it was only when a third person was also all of a sudden because people that do this often keep doing it until they get caught and so it was it was happening again uh so anyway getting back to the article then uh stewart said that for him the fear came from knowing that sims was a friends with other game changers as well as in contact with the sim gurus he feared that sims would use his status as a game changer to weaponize his fan base against stewart if he spoke out 
quote, I know that he's friends with a lot of those bigger game changers, and I had some friends who were friends with him. So I was like, oh, am I going to lose friends over this too? And quote, Stewart said, he did mention to me, oh, I'm a game changer, if you didn't know, multiple times, so I think he knew that too, referencing that he knew that Sims would often say himself he was a game changer to kind of remind him what a big deal he was, essentially. Uh, Darren said that Sims also used his status as a game changer to pressure him to stay in their relationship. Quote, him being a game changer was one of the factors, yes, that combined with him being 11 years older than me just added to this huge power dynamic. I didn't speak to EA because I thought it would just end badly for me. Again, felt he was the victim, that he would be blamed. Dylan made me believe that he was all I had. At that time, I didn't have many friends. All the social connections I had were through him. I thought that if word came out about what he did to me, they would side with him and I would be called a liar and be left by myself. And and like that, that is a very scary thought. And I understand why somebody wouldn't want to go through that. And while that's certainly not a good excuse to stay in a relationship, that's that's how our brain works. And, and that's just how we are. Like, it'd be better to be in a bad relationship than in no relationship at all. And I mean, I from personal experience, and while I wasn't in a relationship like this with a power dynamic, I felt that for many years before I met my wife, I was like, well, I, I, I just want somebody. As long as I have somebody, it's better than having nobody. And and I and that's not true, by the way. Um, if you're hearing this and you're in any sort of situation similar to that, that is not true. That is absolutely not true. And you will find somebody that's, that's better for you. And even though I know that that's how it can kind of look, on the outside. Um, so anywho, um, it goes on to say the people look up to game changers and they have a level of credibility that makes them seem more trustworthy. Tabitha told Kotaku over email. Obviously the Sims team is not the police and sexual harassment, especially of minors should be handing a handled accordingly. But in my opinion, they definitely should have kicked him out of the game changers program because it was giving him a platform. He very clearly abused. And the Sims is a game that is played by, well, people of all ages, but especially, uh, and there are also young kids. It'd be like if a Minecraft influencer was doing this. Like he's he's going there to find targets for his abuse. Um, I wish they would have warned the rest of the community about his actions to prevent more incidents from occurring. Uh, so last Thursday, Lindsay Pearson, the general manager for The Sims, released a statement on Twitter about the situation. That statement says that, quote, allegations of inappropriate online contact by a Sims game changer was brought to our team in December by a third party. And that when the Sims team followed up with that game changer, they, quote, confirmed directly with him that the conduct occurred as it had been described. And, quote, after speaking with the game changer, they write that our process to properly investigate and escalate anything of this nature was not followed. The statement continues, an appropriate response would have been to immediately dismiss the Sims game changer and take additional steps to ensure our community was protected. We sincerely apologize for the delay in taking the right action here. We are disappointed in how events have unfolded and we own our responsibility in that. The, statements conclude, the statement concludes by saying, quote, we have contacted the appropriate authorities and given them the relevant information. We are making immediate improvements to our internal investigation and escalation process and ensuring our entire team learns from this. We will reinforce our strict guidelines on ethics and conduct standards with all of our game changers. We will be connecting with the affected parties to offer support. When reached for a comment by Kotaku, the Sims PR team linked to the statement in response. So I will say that's a good response from EA, uh, the general manager for The Sims, Lindsay Pearson, because they're not trying to cover up anything. They're not trying to diminish anything. Um, Lin the statement claims that they were told in December 
when they confirmed with the game changer, who was Sims, that that's what happened, he confirmed that that was true. Okay. And then I don't know what was said after that. That's when the apology came in. But what was supposed to happen was they were supposed to take it to the next level, investigate and escalate. And they didn't do that. So now that's and that comes to the fault of the two people that were contacted. Now, again, who actually decision was it? Um, we don't know. Uh, but the article goes on to say that uh, last week's statement came on the heels of some very firm reactions from prominent Sims community members. For example, Tabitha said in her video on Tuesday that she would not be spending any more money on The Sims because of how this was handled. In a further statement to Kotaku last week, Tabitha said, at this moment, I don't feel comfortable giving money to a company that doesn't care about their consumers, especially considering a majority of the people that play The Sims are young. They hand-select the EA game changers, and they should be people you can trust as they are representatives of the company and game. And if all they care about is profits, I don't want to contribute to that. I've built my entire channel on the game, but I feel that the members of the community's safety and well-being are more important than a video game. She added that two other Sims YouTubers that she knows of have decided to stop playing the game because of the situation. Um... Since Pearson's statement went up, the response from the community has largely been positive. So it's, you know, it's a good PR move, I suppose. Uh, Tate told Kotaku that he does not blame Sims community manager Kate Olmsted for how this played out, though he is still disappointed by the response from Sims developer Steve Lansing. Quote, I did feel let down and disappointed by what Olmsted had said at first, however soon realized that she was doing what she thought was best given the circumstances. I in no way blame her for what she said as I wouldn't quite know what to do either. Nobody is talking about Sim Guru Steve, who is Steve Lansing, which is actually more upsetting as he said nothing can be done due to it being a private conversation. So now that must be in the pictures that were given there somewhere because I don't remember seeing that anywhere. But apparently Steve Lansing told the person that reported it what there was nothing they could do because it was a private conversation between the two people. And, and so that was a that was a whiff. That's a big miss. and That's not accurate. Um, Stewart said he considers himself lucky as he was able to get in touch with someone with a large following to call attention to this issue. There's probably people who don't have that connection to a person with a bigger following who can, uh, who can't speak about it. He said, it's sad too, because I know I was lucky. I'm not saying I had completely the worst situation, but I feel like if it was a worse situation for someone else, it's going to be very bad for them. And so that's, whew, okay. That was a lot. That's a long article. So I appreciate you guys sticking with me through all that. But so, <laughs> man uh so again i don't fault ea for having this happen inside their house as far as the harassment because you never know what someone's really like people like this do hide it very well however how their response was terrible uh it was abysmal and i'm glad that they're coming back with a sharp response now but man how how incredibly disappointing that it was sent to a developer who basically there was nothing he could do now again and and Olmstead, I'll give her a little bit of credit because she didn't know what to do in the situation. Okay. But that's why you escalate it. If you don't know what to do, you find out what to do. You know, it's it's so frustrating to me. That's not an excuse not knowing what to do. You you figure out what to do. Like somebody who works at EA, who's a community manager, you can go to anybody in that company. It's not like me. I can't call anybody EA and be like, hey, I need to talk to this person, charge this. I can't do that. I don't have access to that. But she does. And so if you don't know what to do, while I understand and I'm I, I'm okay with you admitting that, it's not about knowing what to do. It's about figuring out what to do. And if you can't figure it out and you don't do, then you pass along to somebody who can. And that's really, really disappointing that they dropped the ball on that. Now, boycotting the whole Sims game, I mean, I guess that's fine. I, I feel like EA had systems in place to prevent this sort of thing from happening and that it was a human failure. Uh, it, on the human level, it was a failure. 
Um, so I, I obviously those people will be in meetings. There'll be a company wide, you know, memos that go out and all these sort of things to help try to correct these behaviors. And I certainly hope it does not just because I want EA to be a better company, but because I don't want this to happen to somebody else. And oftentimes, you know, when someone, you know, I understand victims often don't want to come forward. It's a very difficult thing for them. It's oftentimes it's difficult to admit, um, especially with men. Sometimes it's a lack of uh, masculinity issue. Um, uh, and I, I don't know from the article, I'm going to assume that the three people he reached out to were also um, gay men, but I can't tell like if he just approached them thinking they were and they weren't, or if they were openly gay. And so then this person approached them because of that. I don't know, but you know, but there is an issue with that too. And, and vic victim shaming is a real thing. And when you're in a community like this, we've seen, we've seen the online community rally around victims. No problem. We've also seen them come out and just destroy victims that have legitimate gripes. And so it's okay to have that feeling of like, I'm not sure what the future is going to hold, but, uh, you never should feel that way. And if you've ever been in a situation where you felt that way, I'm sorry, because you never should. And you should always feel like if the truth is on your side, I, I truly believe you'll be okay. And that's usually how these work out. And once it's brought to light, look at him now, you know, this person's no longer in that program. I guarantee he'll never be anything like that again. I'm going to assume that his YouTube channels and Twitch channels that no one will watch them and that he'll have to disappear and essentially reappear as a new persona down the line somewhere. Um, but since EA sent the information to the authorities, I'd love to hear something happen to him there that way too. Again, now soliciting a minor is bad enough. Um, but when you have a Skype chat and then you're, uh, exposing yourself to minors, I mean, that's a whole new level. And he, in my opinion, uh, he should, uh, he should go to jail for that. Whew, that's heavy. Oh my God. That's a heavy topic, man. That's, that's rough. That's really rough. I'm gonna have a sip of water after that. Maybe go wash my eyes out with some bleach after that. I absolutely, I, I just, man, that, that bugs me. And again, it's not that it happens. I know it happens. But the fact that a company like gets told that and they don't do anything about it, I, that's just so frustrating to me. Oh, man, that is just... Uh, uh. All right. So anyway, let's get off that. And let's just do this quick follow-up uh, to the Fortnite dances. So um, on March 4th, so this is last week, the Supreme Court ruled that people must complete their registration with the Copyright Office before they can sue for copyright infringement. As a result, lawsuits against the makers of Fortnite over certain dance emotes available in the game have been dropped until the Copyright Office's review of the dances involved is complete. Quote, the recent U.S. Supreme Court decision in Fourth Estate Public Benefit Court vs. WallStreet.com brought forth a major change in copyright law in much of the country. Um... The attorney representing rapper 2 Millie and the Fresh Prince star Alfonso Ribeiro and four others in lawsuits against Epic Games told Kotaku in an email. Previously, plaintiffs could file copyright infringement lawsuits as soon as they applied for a registration with the Copyright Office. Now, however, plaintiffs have to wait for the Copyright Office to act on the application before filing suit, which as a result of its backlogs can sometimes take many months. So it doesn't mean that they lost the lawsuits. It just means that they can't go forward with the lawsuit until their copyright claim is actually uh, verified, which I actually kind of understand that. And to me, that makes sense. So if you have some, you can't just, if you want to, if you think something's copyright protection, you can't just file it and then go in court for it. You have to find out if you're going to actually get that copyright filed for you. 
Um, as a recap, the string of lawsuits began last December with two Millie suing Epic, putting his Millie rock dance in Fortnite in the form of a swipe it emote. Ribeiro then filed a lawsuit against the game company a couple weeks later over Fortnite's fresh emote, which lifts his iconic Carlton dance from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Since then, others, including the Instagrammer known as Backpack Kid, have also filed lawsuits claiming Epic stole their dances. Now, I have no problem with Fortnite having these dances in the game as a as an homage and everything, but they sell these things for profit, and that's when you start getting into into a little more uh, dubious territory, in my opinion. Uh, in in February, Epic Games responded to the claims in the two Millie lawsuit with a motion to dismiss, arguing that both Millie Rock was too simple a dance move to be protected as choreography under the Copyright Act of 1976, and that it differed from the swipe it emote that appears in Fortnite. So now they're playing the Vanilla Ice defense where they're not ripping off the like ice ice baby doesn't rip off the song under pressure because at the very end of it, it has a little like little at the end instead of not having it that, that they went to the vanilla ice school of lawsuits, uh, <laughs> lawsuit defense. <laughs> uh, the company also shared correspondence with the court at the time that showed Ribeiro's claim had been denied by the copyright office, which decided that Carlton was only a quote, simple dance routine and thus couldn't be copyrighted. A registered copyright is not required in order to sue for copyright infringement, although having one certainly helps. Following the Supreme Court's latest ruling, however, the Copyright Office must now at least finish processing a registration request before someone can go forward with a lawsuit. So it doesn't even if they don't get a copyright, they're not saying that uh, even if they don't get a copyright, they're not saying that you're not going to win the lawsuit. They're just saying that you can't do it until you either have a yes or no answer from the Copyright Office. Quote, to best conform with the law as it stands in light of the Supreme Court decision, our clients have dismissed their current lawsuits and will refile them. End quote. We will continue to vigorously fight for our clients' rights against those who wrongly take their creations without permission and without compensation. A spokesperson for Epic Games declined to comment. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Um, it's... <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm not a big fan of games not being able to have things in it because they're copyrighted. But then you charge separately for those things. And so if you're making just hand over fist millions of dollars and then you call the emote fresh and it's pulled from Carlton from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, like, give me a break. You know, like, that, that, that's 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 not an homage. That's not a that's not a nod. That's not a tip of the hat. It's a ripoff. You're ripping them off. I mean, come on. It's that's easy shit, man. It, 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 oh, that bothers me, man. I'm like a I'm like a level that bothers me. Um, interesting. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I was, I was, I went back and I had a mini, uh, a mini heart attack. What is going on here? Am I streaming? I don't think I'm streaming. Um, but, uh, I'm supposed to just be recording, but for some reason, uh, oh, follow, follow. Uh, no, I don't do that. Um, <laughs> it says I have two viewers in the Twitch stat. Uh, but I don't think I'm streaming, right? I don't think I'm streaming. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, it says I'm not streaming. It says I'm recording. So anyway, sorry, I said a mini heart attack. Not that it would matter if I was live streaming. It just would be nice to know. Um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, and then, so we're going to talk about our game of the week. And then we're going to, uh, and then we're going to talk about the spoilers. Or then we're going to do, sorry, we're going to do a user question. Then we're going to do game of the week. Then we're going to... <laughs> I totally lost my brain. Okay, we're going to do user question, game of the week, Captain Marvel spoilers, and then we're done for the day. All right? So, to the user question. Um, let's see here. Okay. Uh, it's kind of a lengthy one, so bear with me here. However, 
Uh, this is from Ryan. Thank you, Ryan, for the question. With the ongoing trend of games as a service and the announcement of a disc drive-less console via the Xbox and the movement towards an all-digital future with video games, do you think the majority of future releases will become like early access games where we will be paying for the privilege to help shape the game over time? That's an excellent question. I actually really like that question. I've talked about this a little bit before, um, but yes, I do believe that, although we've already been kind of seeing it. So we've already got games like Anthem that come out and they're patching and updating. It's essentially rushed out early. So it's not that it's going to be a new trend in the future. It's a trend that's already started and unfortunately is going to keep going and probably getting worse. Um, the, the one good thing that I'm starting to see is there are a lot of smaller devs that do everything digital already. And, and they're completing their games before releasing them. Now, not to say that they can't patch things out later or fix things, but it is an interesting design philosophy. So um, the creator of Gary's Mod and Rust had a really interesting comment one time about his game. If you've never played Rust, Rust is like an open world survival, server-based survival game. Um, so you start off, you're naked, you have to build huts, you have to whatever, and then you eventually get guns and you can make guns and whatever, and you fight. And it's just like, it's whatever. It's like Conan and it's like... I, I don't want to say it's like um, uh, seven days to die because it's it's more survival than that. Uh, and it's it's all player based. Like you go on a server, you you build all this stuff up and then it's you know, it's pretty much like you, you play You fight other players is the idea, you know. Um, so. The uh, the idea of, um, you know, what? I'm sorry, I got to take a break here for a second. I <laughs> I don't know why, like. It keeps saying that I'm streaming. Oh, Jeremy's streaming. That's why. Okay, God. He was freaking me out there for a second. Okay, cool. <laughs> God, that was scary. All right, well, I'll leave that up in the background. I, I forget that Jeremy streams on Tuesdays. That's why it was, like, telling me that uh, he was streaming. <clears throat> okay, so. Oh, that's a shame. I wonder why it doesn't kick out like that. Because then I couldn't answer this question. Okay. So, uh, not that it matters, but I can watch him shoot stuff and stuff um and uh okay so so there are a lot of developers out there that are still finishing games before you know before anything you know before the game needs to be patched but it is it is our inevitable future it is a we can release a game that's not finished and finish it later uh getting back to the story about rust the reason i brought that up was because he had an interesting thing because what ends up happening a lot of the times uh in in a game like Rust, is you, you make the game a certain way, then you listen to player feedback, and then you say, okay, well, based on player feedback, I'm going to change this. But then you realize, well, I just changed the game for essentially the vocal minority. Now I changed something else that people loved, but they weren't saying they loved it because they were content. And so then you've got this kind of unending, constant um, uh, development cycle where you're constantly trying to please somebody so you're changing the game so after a while the developer of that of Rust just said after this certain amount of time we are not going to we are not going to change the game anymore because w what we're doing essentially is uh, uh, an active development that is you know never going to end because we're never going to decide when the when the game's over because we're constantly changing it and so you know uh, very uh um, very interesting stuff. Uh, great question. Uh, 
let's see. I want to make sure I didn't miss anything there. Uh, yeah, and paying for the privilege to shape the game over time. That's a great way of putting it. I feel the same way. It's really annoying that we are expected to... Uh, that we are expected to pay now to beta test and make your games good. In fact, a lot of times when you beta test a game like that, you pay to get in, you're done. You're done playing the game before it even realizes it's, it's full vision. And that's, that's the worst. That's like the worst possible scenario. That's the worst case scenario. Um, and yeah, so do I see it getting worse? Yes. Is it already here? Yes. Um, so I don't think it's a problem that's going to happen when it's only digital. Um, and, and like you made a comment uh, about Spyro, an example about Spyro. And yeah, and like we're seeing that more and more. On the Nintendo Switch, the Resident Evil Origins collection comes out. One of the games is on the cart. The other game is a full download. Spyro, only the first game's on the disc. The other two you have to download an update to get. And it's just, if you're going to buy physical, it should be on their physical. That's a whole other story for another day. But uh, but anyway, yes, do I... Do I uh, Let's see. With the ongoing trend, I just want to make sure I actually answered the question. Uh, we'll be paying for the privilege to help shape the game over time. Yep. Yeah, that'll keep going. <laughs> That's going to be a thing. It's going to keep going. So uh, buck, hunker down. It's uh, it's going to be a bumpy ride over the next probably 10 years or so with, with how we adjust uh, to everything digitally. It's going to be It's going to be rough. Thank you very much for the question, Ryan. If you have a question for me, uh, you can... Well, one, you can shoot me an email at the store, gametradellc at gmail.com. Shoot me an email to dropratetest at gmail.com. Or you can uh, d uh, direct message me on Twitter or, or just tweet at me on Twitter. If I don't follow you uh, and you can't direct message me, like like message or like like tweet at me about that. And as long as you don't have any crazy political stuff on your, on your, uh, on your Twitter, I will most likely follow you back. Um, unless there's like some really terrible stuff set on there. So just let me know. And so you can always DM me through there or there's a drop rate Facebook page. You can always do that. Or you can hop into drop rate discord and leave us a message there. Uh, all the comments are in the videos in the descriptions of, uh, the podcast and everything. So getting to the game of the week today, we're going to talk about Aladdin for the Sega Genesis specifically. I don't own the super Nintendo version, but much like when we talked about Batman, uh, a couple weeks ago, was it last week or a couple weeks ago? I think it was a couple weeks ago. I think I talked about Desert Strike last week. Anyway, uh, Aladdin had two fairly different versions between the two consoles. So the Super Nintendo version, nice music, very smooth looking, uh, and you threw apples. <laughs> In the Genesis version, you get a sword. Why would you not pick the Genesis version? You have a sword. Uh, but when I played this game originally when it came out, the level design is great. Uh, Virgin Studios... Um, Virgin Games, who made this, had at the time of this game had developed some technique that was easy for them to translate, like their video games. It was it was easy for them to translate their their movies into video games, and they were able to digitize like the look of them to make them look really nice. This game looks fantastic. Like I'll kind of throw it up there, like graphically. All oh, the green screens getting it, but graphically, it is just uh, it's awesome. I mean, the game's fantastic. The music they took the music from. Uh, from the movie and they turned it into 16-bit amazingness and uh it was great uh, so aladdin for the sega genesis not saying the super nintendo one's bad but i would play the genesis one over the super nintendo one every day of the week uh and twice on sundays so that's our game of the week aladdin for the sega genesis uh i'm sure most of you have played that if you're into retro games if you haven't it's a real treat go get it it's fun you'll like it 
And then uh, let's see where we're at here. And then, okay, so then that's essentially the podcast. Everybody who doesn't want Captain Marvel spoilers, feel free to stop here. Uh, as always, I appreciate listening and always uh, uh, following and everything. So we'll, we'll leave you here. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to talk Captain Marvel, and we are going to – and we're gonna see how uh, we're gonna and we're gonna and I'm gonna let you know what I thought of the latest uh, Marvel movie. So here we go. All right. And so lastly on the podcast today, I want to talk a little bit about Captain Marvel. Uh, I went to go see. It. This is very spoiler heavy, by the way. So if you're watching this video, if you're interested in the scene, the movie, and you haven't seen it yet, don't watch. Don't spoilers. Spoiler alert. Spoiler. Like don't watch. Spoiler. 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 Can't say it enough. If you're listening to this in the podcast and you somehow like missed my intro and my outro, it's spoiler spoiler heavy. So don't do it. Don't don't do it. Uh don't don't listen, don't watch uh and everything. But here we go. So in in 5 seconds we will be starting our spoiler our mega spoiler of Captain Marvel. 5 4 3 2 1. Here we go. All right. So on the podcast then lastly, I want to talk about Captain Marvel. So the latest movie in the uh epic mcu that's been going on uh it came out on friday and i i went and saw it i went and saw it sunday night with a few friends um I, i'm gonna preface this by saying that uh i watch I, when i watch movies i'm i'm very uh non-critical of them i'm i'm able to get totally lost in a movie not like when i do video game stuff i get very uh i get very critical of video games but movies i'm able to just pull my brain out and just enjoy a movie for what it is uh, and I am a huge fan of the MCU. I'm a big comic book guy, a huge comic book kid growing up and to, to lived through all the terrible comic book movies and shows. And then to get to see like the starting with Iron Man and see like the Marvel universe just is, is really awesome for me. Okay. So, so I'm a little biased because I kind of love every Marvel movie. Not that I haven't had ones that are much better than others and, and feel like some are very mediocre, but you know, uh, I, I do love the universe, so that's going to kind of taint these reviews anyway. However, with that, so with that being said, I saw Captain Marvel Sunday night. Again, spoiler heavy, so this is your last chance to get out. Um, I saw Captain Marvel Sunday night, and I liked it. Uh, I thought it was a very solid 7 out of 10 Marvel movie. Not by any stretch of the imagination my favorite. I think it suffers from some some issues that, that, uh, that we'll get into, uh, but it does some things really well. Um, one, it kind of continues on the, the space opera saga of like guardians of the galaxies, uh, or guardians of the galaxy and, uh, and Thor, which kind of gave you like this kind of spaceship outer space Marvel universe, which I love, uh, because the first Marvel movies were also grounded on earth, you know, your Iron Man's and your, your, your Captain America movies, everything was so grounded there. Um, even, even, uh, I mean, technically, you know, Avengers, you know, had the invasion from space, but it was still an earth movie with a defending an invasion from space. And so this, this one, I, I, I like the, the getting into the greater parts of the Marvel universe. That's all I'm trying to say. So I like that. I like, I thought the, uh, some special effects were really good. I've never been a Captain Marvel fan, never read anything about it. Um, what most of my experience I know about the character is knowing that rogue from the X-Men uh, stole her power. And that's how rogue is able to fly and has super strength. Uh, also, I was wondering if that's why Rogue wears that bomber jacket, because I'm pretty sure that they show that in the movie, uh, that obviously Carol Danvers was a, was a fighter pilot. Um, so, so anyway, uh, so I want to get some of the bad stuff out of the way, just, just the things I noticed and, um, and, and right off the bat, I'll say I could tell that this movie was not marketed towards me, like as a, as a, as a white male, 
uh, it was not marketed towards me. And that's okay. I, I love comic book movies. So I guess technically it was still marketed towards me because I love comic book movies. Um, but much like Black Panther, not every movie has to appeal to me as a viewer. There's many different types of people out there that love many different types of characters. And not every movie is going to be perfect for you. And that's actually been kind of the amazing part, I think, of comic books over the last you know, decades was that there was a hero for everyone. In fact, they were created that way, I think. I think Stan Lee did a really good job of that, was trying to create characters for every single person, not just for yourself. Oftentimes when I'm writing a character, like for one of my stories or something, it's it's oftentimes like a like something I hold dear and I have to I have to break away from that. I have to get more into like looking at something from a different view. Um so anyway, with that being said though, it, it definitely uh the the one thing I hated the most about the movie was they really, really tried to make it a timepiece in the nineties. And there were some subtle ones. Like she crash lands in the beginning into a blockbuster. You saw that in the trailer. If you watched it, that's, that was a neat reference, you know? And then next door, she has to do something and there's a radio shack next door. And then in the radio shack, there's like a game boy demo unit. You're like, okay, this is all kind of funny, but the music choices were, were basically like someone went, okay, top 10 hits of 1990, whatever. And then went down the, the billboard, chart list and just put those songs in there so like like tlc waterfalls is in there and, and so it's weird because i'm not sure if that's my fault or if that's the movie's fault and i say that because like i grew up in the like i i this is a little bit of a tangent right but like so i consider myself a 90s kid even though i was born in the early 80s because i grew up in the 90s like i was 10 i was nine to nine, I was nine to 19 in the nineties. So like I grew up in the nineties. I'm, I think I'm more of a nineties kid than someone who was born in like 93 or 94. Cause they weren't even like conscious for a quarter of it, you know, like, like they were, they were infants and then children and babies. And then now they're not, and then they became adults in the two thousands. They're those to me are two thousands kids. I consider myself a nineties kid. I don't really consider myself an eighties kid. I mean a little bit cause I remember stuff from the eighties of course, but you know, I consider myself more a nineties kid. So all that music did appeal to me. Like I, I knew all the music. I'd heard it on the radio, uh, but it just felt forced. And it's not like Guardians of the Galaxy, which used its music and the themes and everything were tied into the story. This one was just like, let's throw some 90s music in there. And uh, and, and, and so I felt it was it was pigeonholed in there. Didn't didn't really like it. Didn't care for it. Um, the Stan Lee cameo was fantastic. Uh, it, it was actually really neat. There's an article uh, here talking a little bit about it on uh, polygon but um basically he plays himself and he's reading the mall rats script <laughs> it's it's just fantastic that's a great 90s reference because mall rats is you know an awesome movie and he was in that uh, he made uh, so then to have him like he's basically reading the script and practicing his lines for mall rats it just is top-notch uh marvel uh cameo that that was like a great cameo from stanley um not as good as Spider-Verse, though. Like, Spider-Verse was like, man, that uh, that that gets you right in the, it just it just grabs you. But um, this one was this one was neat, and apparently there's one more Stanley cameo, and it's probably gonna be Endgame. Um, and because he had, they had said that he had pre-recorded a lot of his cameos, uh, because they knew he was getting up there in age. So I think uh, they probably recorded a few cameos like in a day or two, get him out of the way and, and be done with it. So. Um, you know, I liked that, uh, overall the movie was fine. I didn't really like a lot of the action scenes. Like I, I felt like the choreography wasn't great and, and that, I think that really held the fight scenes back. Um, 
there were some really cool fight scenes, but it didn't like when I when I love a fight scenes like watching Captain America two and watching him on the ship in the beginning, and he's just like like he's just just you see every bit of the action. What I don't like is when movies get really CG heavy, really effect heavy. And then they're like, it's almost like the transformer, the Michael Bay transformers movies where everything's moving so fast. You can't really see what's going on. And that was kind of frustrating. Um, it did throw in a little bit of that, uh, you know, a little bit of that comedy, um, you know, that like Joss Whedon Avengers comedy, but it's, it's not bad. It's not overused. Um, the characters complex. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's an origin movie and it, and they had to go more into origins because, you know, she never had a movie before. And a lot of people I think are unfamiliar with this character compared to your staples, like your X-Men, Spider-Man and Avengers sort of things. So they need to do a little more work on the character, which is fine. You also get to see like a young agent Coulson and a young Nick Fury. Uh, I thought that was, that was cool. That was well done. Um, they explain how Fury loses his eye, and I thought that was not fun. I thought it was really bad, actually. I'm, I'm really sad to say that. Like, like it seems like it'd be an epic thing, and they, they gave away what could have been an epic character-defining moment. They gave it up for a quick, cheap laugh in Miss Marvel, or in Captain Marvel, excuse me. Um, so, you know, so I didn't like that. But overall, I liked the movie. I thought Jude Laws is pretty awesome. Like, he, uh, you know, again, this is spoiler. You know, there's a lot of spoilers in here, but basically he is her mentor, and uh he ends up being the final bad guy uh the scrolls are in the game and they're actually not the bad guys it's actually kind of neat uh they're actually just trying to find their own planet and, and get home and so there's kind of this mid mid movie like villain swap which is pretty cool um uh, th that I, I didn't necessarily see coming so that was kind of that was kind of neat uh i'd love to see the scrolls become like a new like the new kind of new wave of marvel villain and they could do some sort of like secret wars you know sort of thing going on but um this movie kind of turned them into not bad guys so i don't know if they can make that twist right away uh, but we'll have to see um but overall like the movie thought it was good uh the end credit scene was was a little hokey but it was like setting up for avengers endgame you know it was uh it was just uh the pager that fury tried to use at the end of you know uses at the end of endgame they bring that up at the at the end of um of uh of infinity war and so they bring up they bring that up and then the end credit is her basically showing up you know with cap and uh and uh oh my god uh, bruce banner and um black widow so basically yeah he, she shows up and she's like where's fury so uh and hasn't been back on earth apparently since then because at the end of the movie she goes to help the scrolls like find a new home or some of that so um the movie was good like i said the 90s music kind of pigeonholed in there felt forced didn't feel natural to kind of fit with everything but all in all i liked it and i think you should definitely go see it it's uh i don't know i mean it, it made a ton of money it's a good it's a it's a, it's a very decent marvel movie kind of like to me it's the same it's on the same here as ant-man and black panther for me like um they're they're good movies they're not marvel's best but they're they're good they're up there they're watchable you know it's not like we're not talking like they're and you know i mean I, if you liked it fine but i hated venoms so we're not talking it's like venom level or or uh you know x-men 3 level of of awfulness you know it's uh it's not on that level x-men apocalypse nothing like that it's not even close to anything like that so that's good but I highly recommend it. Go check it out. Uh, today's Tuesday. It's $5 movie day. So go go get yourself a, a $5 movie pass and have some fun with it. And that is the podcast for today, everybody. Uh, thank you for sticking around if you did. Uh, as always, if you're listening to this on iTunes and you want to subscribe to us on YouTube, we'd really appreciate it. We're going, we're on our way, trucking our way to 4,200 subs. We are, uh, uh, we are the drop rate. So go to youtube.com slash 
is it yeah slash dr slash drop rate there's no the in the youtube one it's a little confusing because on twitch we're the drop rate but on youtube we're drop rate um and uh so you can check us out there um and give us a subscribe. I'd really appreciate it. If you listen to us on SoundCloud and you'd rather listen to it on iTunes, just go to the podcast app and search for Game Talk Radio. That's the name of the actual podcast. So the drop rate is our YouTube channel, but Game Talk Radio is something I do solo and then contribute to the drop rate channel with the other two gentlemen, uh, Jordan and um, Jeremy. So with that all being said, thank you very much, as always, for listening. Thank you very much for subscribing, liking, following, anything you can do. I mean, we just really appreciate all of it. And uh, and we'll talk to you again next week, and we'll have some more updates on some more stories. Uh, we got a big one, actually, that I, I couldn't talk about yet regarding GameStop, which really bummed me out because I, I'm this close, and I wanted to break the story, but I can't because I told my my source I wouldn't. And I also want to compile some opinions from some other other managers and such. Um, but, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'll be talking about that. And then we also have, of course... Uh, um, an interesting story that involves our very own Jordan, who uh, who got in, caught in the middle of a controversy between uh, a developer who made an open source game and the developers who made a, a mobile version of that open source game and the fighting going back between them, and Jordan caught right in the middle. So it's a juicy one. So we'll hopefully talk about that next week. Uh, but everyone, thank you as always for listening and watching. Have a great day. We'll talk to you again soon. Take it easy. Bye-bye. <laughs>